0: She should be. Uh, she should be applauded. Uh, three children and uh, four grandchildren. Two of my children are married. The other one is a circling vulture, periodically dropping into the house and taking things.
1: <laughs>
2: so
0: uh, I'm at an interesting stage of my life, and so uh, as I face and discuss things with you, my perspective is different than. Some of the young, very young guys to the middle young guys, because I'm on the uh, I've made the last arc and I'm looking at the finish line. Uh, it's up there ahead of me, and and I understand that uh, as my dad once told me, I'm next. And so I <laughs> wanted to chat with you today. Uh, when Jim came to me and asked me back, I was really pleased to have a chance to come back. It's been a number of years since I've been back, and after I get through speaking this time, it'll be. A number of years before I come back again. And so uh, Jim, Jim graciously let me back in and asked me to uh, speak on particularly one aspect that I spoke about some years ago when we were around each other, or I talked about it, was about uh, how, you review, how you view the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And so as we talked about it, uh, Jim, I, Jim gave me permission to expand it, and I'm going to talk about uh, the Bible in general. This is going to be a little different because Winston's outstanding talk on Joseph last night was talking about uh, the the lessons from the Bible, and I'm going to talk about how to view the Bible. How how do we hold the Bible in our life, and what is the Bible about? Uh, and I think it's a subject that is uh, way too infrequently discussed. And I think uh, if you guys, as priests, Uh, priesthood or believers who are giving your life to Christ, you need very badly to understand a lot of things, a lot of the rules of the Bible, what's going on, if you're going to really say, I give my life to the Word. If you say, I'm committed to the Word, then you better understand what in the world you just signed up for. And that's what we're going to discuss uh, today. Let me tell you that, uh, let me make two opening comments and then we'll get going. Discipleship is the changing of the mind. Discipleship is thinking biblically. It is learning how to displace what the world has taught me and put in its place what the Bible teaches me. So much so that it governs not only my behavior, but my responses to stimuluses. Are we together? And so discipleship is the training process of just not knowledge, but the embracing of the knowledge and the usage of that knowledge. So it becomes very incumbent upon us as men to learn how do we uh, handle this thing called the Word of God. What is it that we're dealing with? What am I gambling with? So the first point I want to make you guys, discipleship, The corner of discipleship is not emotion. It's not that you feel good, but it's your mental commitment. Questions, comments, or concerns? All right? Second, my observation today is the great challenge that awaits you young men and very much you other guys, and I'm pretty much going to exit before I have to do all the battle on it. is that uh, the compromise in the body of believers to accommodate our culture the displacement of the Bible with good thoughts from the world Um, we're exchanging the wisdom of God for the wisdom of the world because it's important that we accommodate the world and the world thinks well of us. This is what I see going on. Much to your shock, I think it started about 60 years ago when women uh, quit wearing hats to church. And it moved from that on into divorce, and it moved on into women teachers, and it moved on into homosexuality. And now to be relevant, quote, relevant in society, We must accommodate what society is saying. Because if I'm not relevant and they're not hearing me, then I can no way make my case. Therefore, I will adjust it. And clearly, God did not mean it that harshly. And so we have women elders serving grape juice at communion. And though the Bible says nothing about grape juice at communion, we don't serve it we don't serve wine because we think that's not holy enough but we have women elders which are absolutely stated should not exist in the bible serving our decision of what communion should look like and guy that's the fo- the folly we find ourselves going towards so i say to you the challenge of your generation will be the commitment to the word and your willingness and your ability and your depth in the word where you will withstand the pressure that's coming your way and I assure you it's an enormous amount of pressure. It's an enormous amount of pressure. I go to a very great church and I assure you some of the positions we're discussing, um, they find very uncomfortable as we talk about the Bible. Alright? Questions, concerns, or comments? I always appreciate any kind of questions or concerns. Uh, I don't really want any comments, but I do like questions. <laughs> okay. I don't know how to do this. Yeah. Let's talk about your Bible. And what I want to do is take on four questions for discussion. There's no, any one of these questions are worth an hour's talk, but I want to just take them on and open them up and walk around them and then hand them to you and leave. Uh, first one is, is this book the Word of God? Uh, what is the construction of the Bible, and how do I view the Old Testament with reference to the New Testament? And why is that important? And uh, we'll discuss that more when I get over there. Uh, oh, last, a comment.
1: You're blocking the screen. Let's move you on the other side.
0: I didn't want you to see it. You, understand you may ask a question. Thank you. If we are to obey the Bible, what do we obey? And the last question would be, uh, how do I interpret the Bible? What do I do to go in and interpret the Bible? So I want to take on the first one is this book, The Word of God. And they're going to ask you in your age group and everybody else's group, prove to me it's the Word of God. And I want to suggest you, the question is to me, prove to me it isn't the Word of God. By the way, if I had eight books here, and I was unique in the fact that I understood, I had some divine inspiration to know that one of those books was the Word of God, that it, it was uniquely the Word of God, then my question to you, if I went over there and I said, there's eight books, how would you know which one it was? What is your criteria for deciding what is the Word of God? And so they say, it proved to me it's the Word of God. I said, if I showed it to you, you you wouldn't figure it out anyway. How do I know that the Mormons didn't really get another Word of God? What would I look for? What sets a book apart as the Word of God? Have you ever thought about that? Not prove it, but would you even recognize it if I gave it to you? Are we okay? I'm gonna give you at least, I can't remember, three or four things Whoops, went backwards. What would the Word of God look like? Well, we know that it at least would have these five components. It would be historically accurate. It would be historically, texturally accurate. It would be consistent, a thing throughout. It would claim to be the Word of God and it must teach us of God and his plan. Now, any book that claims that it is the Word of God must do at least those five things. It must be historically accurate, and that the words over many years have not changed. The book of Homer. Everybody understand the book of Homer? I don't know how old it is. It's very old. The, the text today is about 30% of what it was before. The other 70% has changed as years have gone on. Do you think that happened? Absolutely that happened. And is history changing in front of your eyes today? Yes. And you think what you're reading is the same thing I read. I got some news for you. You're reading a different history than I read. Is that right? Why? Because the intellectuals of the day decided that wasn't what it really was, and so they alter it. So a good question, if it's the word of God, is did it survive the onslaught of the intellectual and the academic? And the Bible is remarkably the same document that we found two thousand years ago. Just the errors are just so minute, it's unbelievable. Gentlemen, that's supernatural. It just wouldn't happen otherwise. It would be a consistent theme throughout. Well, you say, well, that would be easy. Well, I'm not sure. How many books are there in the Bible? How many authors? So, how many? No, so you went quite on me all of a sudden. <laughs> With my tone of voice, oh wait, I don't know about that. Saying to you, the fact that you would have a series of books, not chapters, books, not chapters, that would have one theme is remarkable. And yet there is a single theme throughout the entire book. And that it must claim that it's the word of God. It must claim it that it, that's what it is. It would also try it, you'll like it. You want to go to a guy someday and he says, I don't believe the word of God, any one of you guys. Okay, let's pick up the book of John and let's just start reading it. When Jesus says do something, let's go do it. And if, he, and, if, and if we do it, let's see what happens to our life. Try it, you'll like it. It's a unique book of what, how it impacts your life. And it's not teaching you to exercise more or how to handle your diet so you feel better. It's talking about the interchange of a man. And you must give, it must give an answer to the two main questions of life. And that is, what happens when I die and why do I live? Without that, it cannot be the Word of God. Most books fall at this point. Most books that claim to be the divine-inspired Word of God, the Quran, etc., collapse at this point. What happens when I die, and what is the purpose of my life? So guys, though the Word of God, you must accept that it is the Word of God out of faith, it never ends being faith, you have a great deal of reason to be assured you're dealing with the real thing. I want you to know that apologetics or the argument on the truth is not for the non-believer, it is for the believer only in a reassurance of his faith. Did you hear what I said? I don't argue the truths of God to win a man to salvation. The truths of God are argued so that I have greater assurance of who I am in God. Are we together? We're together on that. And so the Bible, the case of the Bible is argued not to make you win an argument with a non-believer. It's for your own personal assurance. That's why we do it. Somebody have a question?
1: Uh, I'm just going to say that you're saying that that's not to be used when you're you're trying to convert a non-believer I'm not sure I understand that it has it's only for the believer not mi- for the non-believer
0: can you argue intellectually a man into the kingdom is the salvation plan attractive to the non-believer it's the foolishness of, it's a foolishness of God only the Holy Spirit can win a guy I suggest to you you will rarely if ever and I don't I go to the point of ever You'll never argue a man into the kingdom. You academically, you apologetically cannot do that. The the great apologetics are for your assurance. They're not for your argument. Okay? The, the, assure, the apologetics on the Bible are for your confidence. So I walk around and I'm dealing with the word of God. I'm not flaky about that. Yes, sir. What about uh, in discussions with uh, unbelievers, uh, d- d- when, they, when they ask the intellectual or make the intellectual objections and you have to somehow address them in order to carry on an intelligent conversation d- and use apologetics in that sense, but you're saying that for the main thrust, that's not going to get you there. Yes, well, and let's don't go away from that question. Or what if they ask you about evolution or what to they ask you about the different things i always remember the blind man when he got saved you remember that jesus saved him and the all the intellectuals jumped on him what about this and what about that and he said whoa he said i don't know the answers to that but i know this once i was blind and now i see now guys that's a pretty good retort the issue is god working in your life i want to suggest to you that it is good to know the arguments of the bible and the apologetics of the Bible. But it is not for the argument with the non-believer. It's for your own assurance and confidence. Because the journey is a long one. And assurance is an important thing. Questions? Okay? So I want to leave you with the thought that you're dealing with the authentic Word of God. The Bible stands unique as all, all books that has ever been written. Forever. Ever been written. Stands alone. No other religious book gets near it. It is a unique, unique document that you should understand. Like how was it canonized? How did it come into existence? Where did they gather the books from? Who authored them? All that stuff's very important for your knowledge. Okay, let's go on. How many authors are there in the Bible? How many? Oh, trick answer how many guys wrote the Bible with their fingers how many 40 is in whoops excuse me I can't use this thing well. it looks like a catch on 39 or 40 the argument resides on Hebrews how we deal with Hebrews so I wouldn't argue with you I wouldn't argue with you on that one uh, how many books in the Bible? 66. How many? 66. And that's not chapters. That is books. These are all distinctive books. Over how many years were the, was the Bible written? How many? The man has the right answer. 1500 years. Fifteen hundred years. From the start to the finish. Fifteen hundred years. In how many languages? Three, Three languages is correct. And how many styles of writing? At least five. You have epic historical, poetry, prophecy, doctrine. And I can't remember the fifth one right now. There's a fifth one in there too. I can't remember right now. Oh, yeah, prophecy. Yeah. But anyway, there's five different styles of writing. And why that's important is the fact, do I study a historical book the same way I do a a book of poetry? Do I? Do I have any guys that's a literature graduate here? Boy, you're a bunch of illiterates.
1: <laughs>
0: right there. You, you, you study them all differently, don't you? I pick up a book of poetry, I think differently. I pick up a book of history, I think differently. So you don't pick up the Bible and you start reading uh, Genesis and then skip over to Romans and read the books the same way. They're all different books. And they have different books. And how many themes of the Bible? One theme. And that is Jesus Christ. You can find Christ in every book of the Bible. A good way to read the Bible is say, Who is Christ in the book of Lamentations? Who is book? Who is Bible? Who is Christ in the book of Amos? I've just finished a survey of the Bible with people, and that's exactly what we did. I want to tell you, that's an unbelievable set of truth that over 1,500 years, 66 books written by 39 men, with three different languages, could be collected together and have one thing. That is overwhelming. It doesn't work. You just cannot do that. And that's redemption of man by the blood of Christ. All right? What is, now I'm going to skip, I'm going to go to a new subject. Everybody ready? Old Testament versus the New Testament. Now, The question is, how do I view the Old Testament in light of the New Testament when I study the Bible? Or do I look at them the same? Do they have the same weight? Do they not have the same weight? Is the Christ, uh, Paul said the law is dead? Is the Old Testament dead? How do I deal with the promises of the Old Testament in light of the New Testament? So I thought about this at length and I realized that, by the way, there's a 400 year period, intermediate period, that I have five different views I can have of the Bible. One of them is that the Old Testament is valid and the New Testament isn't. And that's the Jews, and we don't pay any attention to that. And there's some sects that came in earlier that said the Old Testament is invalid, but the New Testament uh, is the only thing true, and we disregard that. And then there's a group that came up that said both the Old Testament and the New Testament are equal. They are, you have complete obligation to the Old Testament and complete obligation to the New Testament. And if you don't think that wouldn't rain chaos down on your head, that would rain chaos down on your head. What do you do about the sacrifices? What do you do about the dietary laws? What do you do about... Uh, I love the one about teenage kids. If you guys were rebellious, we took you outside the camp and killed you. See?
2: And I love that.
0: I love those kind of disciplinary actions. And, and would you like me to pass that command along? Are we together? Then there's one that I view the New Testament through the Old Testament. By that I mean... I read the New Testament in light of the truths of the Old Testament. So I say unless the New Testament repeats, I'm under obligation to the Old Testament, unless the New Testament negates the command, then then I stick with the Old Testament commands. Or I could say I will view the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, meaning I will view the Old Testament. If it's not repeated in the New Testament, if it's not repeated in the New Testament, then I don't deal with it. Let me make that more concise to you. Unless it is canceled in the New Testament, the command stands and the promise stands. Under obligation, we're under obligation to obey all of the commands of the Old Testament. And obedience is the key to your assurance of salvation. The church is Israel. It's taken over all the things of Israel, and God is finished with the nation of Israel. And if you're a Presbyterian, this is what you believe. You view the New Testament a lot of the Old Testament. If you're reformed in your theology. Well, this becomes very important because it changes the commands on as you view them. Or you could view it the other way from the New Testament. Unless it is repeated in the New Testament, the command does not stand and the promise does not stand under instruction of the Old Testament commands, but not obligated. I'm not obligated to obey the Old Testament, only if the command is repeated. Obedience is the key to assurance. Notice in both cases, the only way I know I am saved is if I obey. The only way I'm assured of my salvation is obedience. That's true, and either way you look at it, the church is the church, and God is not through with the nation of Israel. So if you want to argue the end times, it spins around this interpretation is God through with the Jews? If you don't think God is through with the Jews, then you know the Jews have a final act in the end times. All right? And so you're viewing that the church is the church and Israel is Israel. The Old Testament is the Old Testament, the New Testament is the New Testament. And you proceed to interpret the scriptures accordingly. Now, I haven't done a real smooth job interpreting that, but let me ask you a question. What are at least two commands... Well, at least two commands that come into question when I view the scriptures this way, that I'm going to find conflict with. Say it again. Keeping the Sabbath would be one of them, right? Because if I view it from the Old Testament, what do I do? I keep the Sabbath. If I view it from the New Testament, it says uh, the command is never repeated. It says that every day is the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath is not an issue with me. Is there any others? Tithing. tithing would be another one. If I'm looking at from the Old Testament, tithing is an issue because it tells me times. tithes. If I look at from the New Testament, tithing is never repeated in the New Testament. Consequently, the way I would view giving, what does it say? Each man must give as he's decided for himself. So the command is more freer but more difficult because I've got to decide on how I'm going to how I'm going to apply that. So if I go through this, I would say to you, if I go from the Old Testament to New, the Sabbath stands as it is, and the New Testaments, every day is a Sabbath. I've already talked about tithing. The promises, I cannot appropriate if I believe, in, the, if I look at it from the New Testament, I cannot appropriate the promises. They may become individual, but they're not general. Where on the other side, the church says, I have all the promises of Israel but the assurance of our salvation in both cases is found in obedience. So guys, how do you view the scriptures? Do you take the Old Testament with equal weight with the New? When you study the Bible, do you understand there is a difference? And the difference is to lead and guide you. Do you view it from the New Testament back? How do you bring those conflicting commands together? How do you do with the promises that were given to Israel? given the promises Winston read off uh, five or six promises last night none of them came out of the Old Testament they all came out of the New Testament in your study and in your interpretation of the scripture where do you stand on those questions concerns or comments is it just too confusing to grasp because if you don't understand this you'll screw up your interpretation of the Bible it's that it's that important yes sir well,
2: what do you do with the stance when the individual tries to bring in tithing with the book of Hebrews with Abraham tithing to Melchizedek
0: okay The question is, is Abraham used as an example of tithing? Would you bring that in? Remember, it was not given as a command. It was given as an example. Do I follow all examples? Are examples obligatory? Jesus wept when he got to Jerusalem. Should I weep when I go to Jerusalem? Examples are not obligatory. They're instructional, but not obligatory. Should I consider tithing? if I look from the New Testament to the Old Testament? The answer would be, yes. I'm under obligation to tithe. I would suggest to you, no. Let me say to you, the command that the Bible gives you is that you must decide for yourself there should be be no reluctance, no sense of compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. I'd rather him tell me I have to tithe. Why? I know when I've done my job. It's a lot more hard when he says, Gail, give as much as you can. I said, okay, here comes 1%.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and so when you say to me, I, I give $100,000 a year, and I say I give $10 a year, there is no, comp- it doesn't matter. It's dependent upon the individual's relationship to God and what he considers he can do. Now the good news is, you get to interpret that. The bad news is, you get to explain it to God when you go to heaven. <laughs> Are we together? <laughs> so, you can take it from either way, but here's the only thing. Here's the thing. I want you to listen to I, I got two questions, and I'll get to them, I promise you. You can go either way you want to, but be consistent. If you're going to say, I'm going to view the New Testament from the Old Testament, then play the cards to the end. If you're going to view the Old Testament from the New Testament, play the cards to the end. Why do I say that? Anybody have any reason for that? What? people
2: that only view either way are not consistent
0: yeah and let me say to you that if I, if I if I get in there and I find out that I'm supposed to take my teenager out of town and kill him other than thinking that's a pretty nifty uh, command
1: <laughs>
0: and I was glad my dad didn't have it when I was <laughs> what I'm trying to say is if I take a command out of the Old Testament and then one out of the New because I think they're neat commands, the text is not God's, it's mine. Are we together, guys? God is more concerned with your integrity than your accuracy. I'd rather you view it and make some foul but be consistent, than to manipulate it to meet what you desire it to say. Let the Bible speak for the Bible. Go down with consistency Don't go down with comfort. Does that make sense? Don't get comfortable with the scriptures. I'd rather you go down with consistency than with comfort. I think the question's over here. Is this the lower right-hand corner? Right here? No, right above that. What did you mean? I said he cannot appropriate the promises of Israel to the church. The individuals can have specific promises. Uh, I know guys who live out of the Old Testament promises. Uh, How many knows who Dawson Trotman was? If you ever read Dawson Trotman's life? He lived out of the Old Testament. I mean, he just snatched promise after promise. Now, personally, that's never happened in my life, but it did him. Now, I, I think he can do that. But when he turned to Gail Jackson and said, by the way, this promise applies to you, I would say, whoa, Dawson, you can't pass that promise on to me. The promises were to Israel. God hasn't given me that promise. Maybe he gave you the promise. Praise God he did, but he didn't give it to me. Does that make sense? So the individuals can take specific promises. We love the promises of the Old Testament, that God will make the land rich and the people will be powerful and the country will be wonderful. It had nothing to do with the individuals. It was a, national, a promise to the nation of Israel. If you don't get those things straight, you will hijack the scriptures to your emotions. And you will accommodate culture because you'll have no ground to stand on. Because i got to tell you, I cannot argue the fairness of the scriptures. Agreed or disagreed. There's no way I can argue it. You can't exclude the homosexual. That's not fair. I said, well, God uh, lumped along and he said, a bastard child cannot go in the temple for 10, year, 10, ten generations. Tell me anything fair about that. The poor kid had nothing to do with some shack up deal. And for ten generations, he cannot go in the temple that's right out of your Bible guys now who gets to decide fairness God but it doesn't appear fair to me now the next question is is that man wasted was there any great man of the Bible that was a bastard child who Jephthah he was a judge and God used Jephthah in a mighty way And by the way, Jephthah made the Hall of Fame. So to say that you're denied some worldly privilege doesn't deny you from achieving great things for your eternal citizenship. Are we together? Women say, I can't preach to men. That's not fair. It has nothing to do with fair. That's God's decision, not yours. It doesn't deny you from having great benefits in heaven. No, not at all. Don't try to make those arguments, you'll go right up into a cul-de-sac and die. Yes, sir, I think you were up next.
1: Uh, What do you do with the the statement of Jesus where he said, unless you keep the law better than the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven.
0: Yeah, that's a, uh, did everybody hear him? That's a rascal of an application. I mean, a command. He says, you've got to be perfect like, you've got to be more perfect than they are. Uh, Well, for one thing, they weren't very perfect. but I've got to tell you that uh, those are very tough verses in there. And uh, the New Testament wasn't written yet, and I would also second to say to you that if I studied Jesus in the Gospels very closely, I would come to the conclusion that salvation is by works. Now, I don't like that statement, and I'm not trying to be controversial. But all of the ingredients he gave to the people were a works-centric relationship to God. It comes right out of the seventh chapter of Matthew, which I know all of you were very fond of last year. More, <laughs> more fond, fond chapters that you had. Now, what do we conclude then? Let me go with further. What do we conclude? Is Jesus not teaching grace? No. But he is teaching the Jews who did understand works. And for us to think that salvation does not have a works component, you are you're going counter scriptural because there is a works component Salvation, yes, sir. What, yes, a uh, James, uh, one John. There, there's some script. now. By the way, that doesn't counteract grace, guys, but let the scripture explain the scripture, quit trying to polarize the scripture, yes, sir. you look upset.
1: <laughs> hey, the Gail? reason
0: is you're shaking your fist Hold at me, on. I think, what they did it was something like that. Hey, I'm Gail? just glad he didn't do the other thing. Hey, Gail, can you? you re- no, no, we're right over here, right yeah. now. One right second. Here.
1: 1. can you repeat the question if they don't have a microphone?
0: Oh, did not. Okay. Just oh, just help recording. Here? Yeah. All right. I will. Well,
1: the, when, you, when Christ said that your 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 righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees, wasn't he? My understanding, or maybe my interpretation of it, was is that he was trying, he was exemplifying the fact that you, get, you can't do it on your own, and it was revealing their, their, uh, their depravity.
0: And you, and you can read it that way. And I could also read it that uh, you have to have obedience greater than the Pharisees. <clears throat> I'm not clear. Mm-hmm. From a grace point of view, I want to say, he, he meant when I get saved, my righteousness will be greater. But then I make this mistake of drifting over into the seventh chapter of Matthew when he says, you did not obey me. I never knew you. And the relationship was totally obedience-centric.
1: Okay.
0: So I'm not trying to make a. but I thought his point was valid. You've got to weigh those difficult scriptures. And all I'm saying is, guys, let the scriptures teach. Let the scriptures speak for the scriptures. When I was a young man about 101 years ago, <clears throat> the, uh, the church lived on legalism. And the benefit was, I lived in a safe society. Mother and dad could let me run around, and the worst I'd do is get into a can of beer. Today, we live in grace, and the problem is we live in an unchecked society. It's, I don't want my children to get 30 feet out of my yard. I'm scared to death what's gonna go on out there. Are we together? So, here is the mistake of the church. It's not all grace, and it's not all works. It's got to live in the compatibility of the two held together. Why do I say that? Because it's the Scripture says that. But we want to move away from the tension. We want it to have it one way or the other. The Bible doesn't have it that way. And we've got to learn to live with that tension. Was there a question over here? Yes, sir. Right here. here. Excuse me. I'm sorry.
1: I guess two things. You brought up a few things in the past couple minutes. Um, In in relation to the question that started over with this gentleman, um, there's also the discussion about it's easier for um, um, rich, man. rich man to go through the eye of a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God and I've always read that to mean that we cannot enter the kingdom of God based on our works that's through God's providence and God's um, salvation that we enter that kingdom and, th- and then in terms of your discussion of the works can you know, I respond to that? yeah go ahead
0: Yeah, and I don't want to give up your question but I'd like to respond to that <clears throat> let me say to you that what Jesus was doing is the, his apostles are just like you and me. People who have wealth have special dispensation. James talks about it. Don't let them have special seats. And he hated, uh, he hated uh, when we gave people favorite, favoritism. And it's never dawned on us, we've always had trouble, if a guy makes money and he's rich, he's bound to be successful and wonderful. Well, oh, We'd say, we'd snarl around here, but guys, we act that way. Come on. I know you act that way. It's your, it's your knee-jerk reaction. And Jesus said, by the way, let me tell you this, boys. Not only is he not in heaven, it's harder on him to get to heaven than the poor person. And the answer is why? Because the rich guy says, I don't need you, God. I got a maid. Tell me what you're going to give me. Tell me relevance. Tell me anything that's relevant about this scripture. I got it. until God brings him to his knees and I think that's the point he's making there I don't think he's talking about works I think he's talking about our viewpoint of what's going on yes sir, now did you want to go on with your question?
1: Uh, let me respond then to that first I agree he's not to- talking about works but what, is, what he is talking about is that we can't do it on our own we don't come to the kingdom don't disagree with you so go, taking that into to the works comment that you made we can't do enough works to be saved. I think we can all agree on that. And Ephesians 2.8 and 9 tells us that um, we're saved by faith through grace and nothing else. Um, I get a little bit nervous when you try to marry works and faith and salvation. I understand that out of our salvation and our faith, we should be responding in obedience. And I think that's what James 2 tells us but I I would ask for more clarity
0: on your comment about the combination of works and faith it is not me, it's the Bible saying it the reason you don't teach the first three books, three gospels out of your pulpit normally is because it's a works driven gospel and we're very uncomfortable with it you'll never get me to say because I obeyed I went to heaven that will always be grace but for me to say that I go to heaven because of grace and I never obeyed is a lie that obedience is a natural response to grace and if I do not obey then I have no reason to believe I have been saved they are in, inextricably linked in the Bible
1: I understand the linkage and that was the discussion we had last year that our the, obedience that was evidence loved, yeah. our obedience is evidence of our salvation I think so. that's what James 2 teaches um, but
0: one, that's what the whole Bible teaches
1: one, one, is, one is the chicken and one is the egg here and I think faith, salvation through faith comes first. And only, you can only have good works after that fact.
0: Okay, and go there if you'd like to. And I just encourage you to study the scriptures because you gotta come to peace with the works component. And what we want to do is put the works component on the shelf. I am not interested in you seeing my works because my works is only for my assurance of my salvation. I have no reason to believe I'm saved because of what goes through my mind and what I think. The only thing that gives me confidence is my sensitivity to the Word of God. And that's what he's teaching in the seventh chapter. I just can't blow the scriptures off, the scriptures that are there. And the Bible will leave us with great tensions. Are right, they all together? And the answer is let the Bible answer that. And if you don't do that, you will discard chunks of the Bible. And if you discard chunks of the Bible, you're headed down the the slippery slope of throwing the Bible away. That's what this whole talk is about. Get a hold of it understand how it's shaped so you can get a hold of it. There was one question I'm going to stop after. Two more and then I quit. Oh, golly. Okay.
1: Well, I better not ask Mm -hmm. it.
0: Yes, there's a break in five minutes. (laughs)
1: Thanks, Gail. <laughs> if I look at your, your chart there, if I'm on the left side of that chart um, under assurance, then my assurance of um, salvation is based on my obedience, obedience Still. to the entire Old Testament law plus the New Testament.
0: When you when you say the Old Testament is, uh, I view the New Testament from the Old Testament, I've got a pro. I've, I'm obligated to the Old Testament. Then you say, well, what do you do about the dietary laws? Well, i got some news for you. They were not called... The dietary laws. Well, what do I do about the worship laws or the, uh, the, the religious laws? i got some news for you. They were not called that. They were called the law. So why would I we made them? the division so that we wouldn't have to screw around with them. That's exactly what we did. And so I'd say to you, if you take that side, feel free to take it. Please be consistent. Now, there is numbers like the sacrifices are knocked off in the Old Testament. Those, those are thrown out in the Old Testament. The dietary laws, to a large extent, are put away. But there's a lot of laws in the Old Testament that are not put away, and that's, that's the thing you've got to come to grips with. You can't pick and choose.
1: I, I guess my question would be then,
0: why, why in your experience would anyone want to be on that side? Well, some very wonderful and profound men are on that side. Uh, R.C. Sproul is on that side. Wonderfully godly man. Now, how they accommodate the Old Testament, I do not know. I don't worry about them. I really don't worry about them. Just so they're consistent. What I'm worried about is you guys. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's the question. And wherever you come down, come down, take a stand, embrace it as the Word of God, treat it with a great, holy thought, and be serious about what you're doing. Quit being haphazard in your scriptural thinking be firm on what you believe. If you don't, you'll be washed away in the waves of the world because I got to tell you, the waves are coming and they're big and they're tall. Do you believe me? I'm telling you, they're coming after you. They will not be satisfied till they dilute the whole dumb thing. Until they dilute every aspect of the Bible. On the great pinnacle of academia, and we call that but we call that um, what is fair. Fairness is the great, great god of academia, and of course, they're the only ones that get to decide what's fair. Yes, sir.
1: Uh, I agree that I agree with what you're saying about. I'm glad you do. Who's the microphone? Yeah, somebody, <laughs> somebody <laughs> likes me. <laughs> that that uh, our obedience gives us our assurance of salvation. Would you go as far as to say that we can look at our good works then and? recognize that as as evidence that we are saved?
0: I think the only thing you can do is because I don't trust my motives mm-hmm. I, the, is the repentances of my heart my mm-hmm. contriteness, my brokenness before the throne and my view of the Bible that I want to do better that's the only one I know how to do mm-hmm. I can never tell you that I've achieved anything
1: because the scripture I was is when Jesus talks of how uh, men will come
0: before him and say, I prophesied in your name, I taught in your name. And I agree. But they so didn't obey. That? But they did not obey. Remember that. There's a difference. And it's all tied into obedience. Can I go on to the next group? Did I wear you out enough? Yeah, Jimmy. Gail, I hear
1: you encouraging us to make a decision on how we're going to look at the old
0: and the new. But I also, Let me, May I just refer I'm telling you, you must do that or you'll live in a state of uh, contradiction in your studies.
1: I hear us going down this path of making our decision based on which side of the ledger we're on on these given issues.
0: No, I just My, said if, if you decide, these are three issues that come out. Is there
1: a scriptural method that a guy can take... Um, in choosing, at 30,000 feet, which way I'm going to look at the Bible? The old, through the new, or vice
0: versa? Is there a justification Jim, that's a good, for doing that? It's a good question, and I don't know the answer. I, w- I, would, I would throw a bunch of nonsense around, like, what's your eschatology and all that bull? Let me not get you over there. But let me say to you that what I did, and I recommend it to all of you, is I'd find men who really know the word who I cared about who cared about me and I cared about them and had lengthy dialogue on what the issues were I learned this it took about three years for me to come to this point point. and I had a guy ask me one time that question and I just collapsed he said how do you delineate between the old and the New Testament what do I apply out of the old and what do I apply out of the new and I just felt I couldn't answer the question I didn't know how to answer it and so I sat on a journey to learn the answer and it absolutely sorted out Great parts of my Bible study from that time forward. So I would say seek out older—it doesn't have to be older—but men who are committed to the word that's been in the battle for a long time and dialogue on the issue. Good news is you get to choose. Can I go on? Okay, next one. What do we? What time is it? Nine thirty. How much do I have left? I don't remember. FR. Oh. oh, oh. What the okay, what word the word hope is used throughout the Bible? What are the five books where the word hope is not used? This is your pop quiz. Revelation. Now Vince, you should know this. Uh uh I know.
1: Yeah.
0: Revelation. Revelations one. Vince what go. You bluffed your way into that. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? I, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Revelation. I agree with that answer. And the answer is why those five? Because he's there. What? Because, he's there. because your hope is here. It is interesting. If you read the Old Testament, the word hope is almost in every Not a lot, But it's hope. You come to the Gospels, it disappears. It's not in the Gospels. You can't find it. You get in the book of Acts, here it comes again. And you get the book of Revelation, it's gone. Now guys... If that isn't supernatural, I don't know what is, because those are 1,500 years, <laughs> X number of authors, 40 authors, 39 authors, 66 books, and this just occurs. Food for thought. Okay, years ago I got involved in a study on what do you apply and how do you apply the Bible, and uh I spent a, two or three years talking about this subject with some guys, and... And I begin to realize that the, uh, how do I deal with what commands? And I realized there was different kinds of commands in the scripture. There are negative commands and positive commands. There are suggestions, there's illustrations, etc. So how do I deal with the different commands? Question, are there more negative commands or positive commands in the Bible? Positive. Positive many, many fold. The Bible is written in the positive command. What would be one of the key differences between a negative command and a positive command? I'm sorry, I couldn't. Who said that? Yes, you can measure the negative, you cannot measure the positive. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's pretty clean. I'd figure that out. I'd measure that. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. I don't know how to measure that. Honor your mother and father. I don't know how to measure that honor your employer i don't know how to measure that i can't measure you i can to a degree measure me are we together so the commands had a different twist there are suggestions in the bible it is good that you not even touch a woman under what obligation am i to that command what about the examples that are in the bible about how david treated uh, uh saul and how david treated jonathan what 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 can i learn from the examples in? Under what degree do I interpret those? So I came to the conclusion, I tried to understand how those commands went together, and I want to give you an illustration that uh, came to me during that time. And I want to say to you that the negative commands are uh, like a giant fence that God has built around us. And he said, I'm going to give you liberty and freedom. You are saved. You can go anywhere you want to go, do anything you want to do but don't violate the negative commands if you get close to violating the negative commands you know you have gone too far one of the problems with freedom and liberty is it introduces vertigo moral vertigo because if i can just kind of move the way i want to move i lose my perspective do you agree i give my child more and more privilege eventually he'll drift off the edge because he needs the gyroscope, he needs the containment, he needs uh, boundaries to behave in, or he'll go into vertigo. That's true in business, that's true in my moral behavior, it's true in how I live. And so God said, I'm going to give you liberty, and that's the good news, and the bad news is, if I don't watch out, you'll go into moral vertigo and drift off. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some negative commandments, and when you get near those negative commandments, all the whistles are to come off, And start firing off because you're not where you belong. So he says, I'm going to put this enormous fence around you for you to play around in. But don't go through the fence. So what is the first thing we do? We walk right up to the fence and look over the edge. And say, God, did you mean this? How about this? What if I do this? Is that fair? So we push God as hard as we can on the boundaries. And he said, why do you push me on the boundaries? Look at all this back in here, this play area. you got all kinds of room so he puts the boundaries around us and he says when you cross over these boundaries you're in no man's land and we do and so we break it break these areas down here and that becomes our weak spots and that could be uh, it's a breach from past abuses and it could be alcohol, we know alcoholics and in this generation it is pornography I'm going to tell you where it is today, what you guys are going to be facing is sexual abuse um, in my, day, in my day, the woman kept you away from it. In your day, there ain't nobody keeping you away from anything. Pornography is in this room today. There is a problem with it in this room somewhere. Why? That's statistically just true. It is a carnivorous cancer that eats you up. And there's a violation down here and that we must protect ourselves against. And if you ever violate it enough, as we put it, you're damaged goods and you can never return to the total like it never occurred because it has occurred. Premarital sex, pornography, etc. So guys, guard against breaking the wall because once you break the wall you're always vulnerable in that part of the wall. So then we come along with the positive commands and what do we do with the positive commands? Well, what we do is we create a series of we make decisions and we limit ourselves on purpose. Let me draw that a little bit more. We take a, I know that I can go, I can live from here to here. That's my liberty. But what I choose to do is live, that's liberty, I choose to live from here to here. That's my conviction. And so the positive command is I decide what it looks like. That's conviction and I applied in my life. When my mother gained Alzheimer's, the command is honor your mother and father. What did that look like? How how do you decide that? I had to decide. I had to create convictions as it impacted my family, etc. And I put her eventually in a home and dealt with her out of the covering of the home. But I had to make decisions about that there was no command to guide other than God said honor your mother and father and God says to you guys do not fornicate and he doesn't really say very much more other than don't fornicate now there's a big long line so where's the where's my line as I used to tell my sons when they were growing up now son here's the deal is uh, holding hands okay is a kissy on the mouth okay is arm around the shoulder okay? Is mutual fonding okay? How far do you go, son? Is she Does she get to decide your moral purity or do you decide? Where is your line? Where is your conviction? Because, son, when you're in the battlefield, your hormones will betray you and you'll go through the wall. You must decide before you go in the battle because when you get in there, you cannot decide otherwise. And that's the bane of the youth and older guys, the same things about business. When do I act ethically? How do I deal with my money? How do I handle my accounts payable? How do I handle my accounts receivable? How do I deal with my family? How do I deal with all the aspects of life? What are your convictions about entertainment? During the Iranian war, there was a guy named Scott, Colonel Scott. Colonel Scott was a captive and he decided, because he could hear the jets fly over, and he, and he knew what kind of jets were flying over, that he decided America was getting ready to come in and bomb Iran and get him, get him out. And he knew he was going to die pretty soon. And they, they were going to bring him up for one last interrogation. And so he said, in this speech he was giving to us, I knew I had to decide what I would die for. Because during the interrogation, that becomes a moving line. And I want to say to you, if you don't decide about where you stand on the positive commands, like love your wife, like Christ loved the church, and how you treat your employer, and how you deal with things ethically, if you don't decide before you enter the battle, that will become a moving line. So God calls us to create these. And so I want to suggest to you, Convictions are self-imposed limitations to your liberty. I impose my limitations on myself. Define in the day of calm to guide you in the day of struggle. And I must back myself back away from these weak spots that I've created. When does, when does your relationship to a woman of business cross over the line? Is it when you shake her hand, when you're nice to her, when you kind of say a flirting? What if you just got a little bit of an offbeat comment to each other? When do you become emotionally entangled? When are you sliding over that line? I suggest you guys draw the line back here to protect you out there. Questions, comments, or concerns? It's easy. Here's some of the things you need to think about. How many hours do I work? Conviction. There is no de- no definition in the Bible. How about men and women? How about how I treat my money? Entertainment. What do I watch on TV? What movies do I go to? What books do I read? What, am I, what are my boundaries? What are my children seeing me do? Drinking. What do my children see me do? Business ethics. My giving. Are you generous? What are you? How do you, what have you decided? How do you honor your parents? How many of you have parents still alive? How many you have parents over 70? You're headed on your way into a new arena of life. How do you honor your mother and father? What does the Bible say? What are your convictions about that? Where do you stand on that issue? Okay, any questions or concerns before I go on the next subject? Yes, sir. Uh, this, I have, uh, the question was, can you get copies? At the end, I'll give you an email address, and if you would like to have the email address, I mean, if you'd like to have them, if you email email me, I'll email you right back. I mean, I I won't send them to you, but I'll email you right back. I'll say, good morning or something like that. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. God loves you. Godspeed or something like that. And I will send them back to you. So if you enter the scriptures, you must know how you can handle the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you enter into the scriptures, if we are called to obey, then we must define what do we obey. And it takes thought, like for instance, what does it mean to honor your parents? I gotta tell you, you just don't slip over the side and understand that one. That takes thought and consideration. Okay. I'm getting ready to leave. Yes.
2: My mom has passed. My dad is alive, but that's a long story. But my wife's parents. Difficult to be close to. And I don't think my wife, Miami, is sharing. As much as we try to be close, they're very controversial. And if things are not their way, including the way that we bring up our children, it's always a problem. And at this point in time, every time something has happened of that nature, we've always been the ones that give in and regardless whether we're wrong or right or however apologize repent we love you we want this you know we're a family so forth and so on all sides of the family are believers and another event took place where it was a great deal of damaging to our oldest son and uh had a lot to do with them and so since it's been about six or eight months no about six months now at the last event that happened, my wife decided that she didn't want to give in again and apologize for something she didn't do. She doesn't put them down. We don't put them down. We don't speak ill of them. And, But she just felt like if she keep on doing it, it'll, it'll never change. They're going to constantly keep doing the same thing. It's been happening for the 12 years that we've been married, and... It's thirty years okay. more you
0: know. For the sake of time, I'm going to speed you along. May I? I don't want to do a talk on honoring your parents, but if I am going to handle that command, what's the first thing I do? What's the first question on the table? Anybody? What does honoring mean? First, let's go back. What does honoring mean? What does it mean? That's the first thing you do on the Bible. Gosh, what is he saying? Because when I thought about it, when my mother had Alzheimer's, I remembered obeying my mother. And I said, I can't obey her. Honoring was, I obeyed her. Now what do I do? Well, that's not what the word means. There's two words, and I'm, I'm going to do a little bitty Bible study here and then go on. There's two words for honor in the Bible. One of them means, I invest in, and it becomes a value, and I, and I honor it. And one of them is I attribute value to. For instance, I attribute value. I go into an uh, art studio. I see a picture up on the wall, and I say, that is really beautiful. That's worth $30,000. Why is that worth $30,000? I just think it's worth $30,000. The other one is, like uh, my son and I built a picket fence in the backyard. And I figured at $0.15 an hour, it was worth roughly $22,000 when we finished it. up. It was 20 feet long. Come on, guys that's investing in see the example that's investing in and so there's two different kinds of things it says honor your wife and that means invest in honor your parents it means ascribe value to alright now so some of you would say you dirty SOB you don't know my dad he's a bad guy and I said no I didn't know your dad but I do what the Bible says you're to ascribe value to them And so the call is to accept and ascribe value. The actual applications go up and down and all over the map on how it looks like. Second thing I want to say to you is at the age of your parents, you will not change them. So don't get into being a change agent. You're wasting your time. Now does that mean you don't neutralize them? No, that doesn't mean that at all. But it starts with the issue of do I see them as value? I'm not kowtelling because they used to be my mom and dad. I love them for who they are and they got weaknesses just like everybody else and I don't deal with them. But they are special because they're mom and dad. We're together. So the first thing in the application is, what does that mean? And from that then, I begin to create the application. I would say to you, Jim, over the years, good Bible study in the area would be taking these things on and saying, what are my convictions in those areas? Okay? Are there any prophecies in the Bible that span more than 400 years that are accurate to the actual day it occurred? Any? What? That's it. That's the one I was looking for. It's where is it in the Bible? In the book of Daniel. And he, and he does the 69 weeks. You can count it on the numbers. And it actually is to the day that Jesus entered the, into the gates. He prophesied it to the nose. So you understand, why were they looking for Jesus when he was born? Because the prophecy said he was going to be born during that time. They were alert to the fact something was going to happen. Is the Bible unique? It's completely unique. It is a unique book that stands all by itself. What is the Bible so hard to interpret? Well I want to suggest to you is it is a diamond. It's a diamond of truth And you have different men looking at it from different viewpoints. I could take you out and we'd see a car accident and I'd stand you over here and you over here and I'm over here and we'd see totally different things. And so I would do the best I could to explain to you what I'm watching, what I'm seeing. And you get the other three and you say, how in the world do they go together? Well, they do go together. I just must understand we're seeing the truth from a different viewpoint. But each one does what? Each one helps me understand each one helps better explain what went on. Do you understand that? So the Bible best explains the Bible and it gets into trouble because you've got these 40 authors standing around this diamond walking around saying it looks like it glitters to the left. Look, it glitters to the right. And they're seeing different things about the truth of Jesus. That's why it makes it so hard. Are there any prophets? Whoop, I went backwards. Excuse me. Didn't mean to do that. Many authors over many years with many languages, with many circumstances, talking from God. Guys, that's why it's hard. That's why you cannot understand the New Testament unless you understand the book of Kings. You cannot understand the book of Daniel unless you understand the Gospels of Jesus. It is a complete package. You must put the whole Bible together. You must see everybody's view of the diamond. Are we together? So what we do is we become specialists in one book and forget the rest of it. You can't do that. The Bible best explains the Bible. Key rules of interpretation. Know the author, what the author is doing, and how he tactically accomplishes this adjective top-down and then bottom-up. What's a good illustration? We were talking at our table, is there the fear of God? And if you uh, wanted to argue with me that there should be no fear of God, what verse would you use? First John, what? Huh? Four. Yes. You're... Four... <laughs> That's a chapter in the verse. Okay, it is... Perfect love, cast out all fear. Is that... Huh? 417. Is that what that scripture is saying? Well, it's a great verse. I love it to death, and I've had it used only 50 times. That's not what that verse is saying. If you go back and study... The rest, if you go top down on what he's saying, he is saying that what you do in love will be weighed in the judgment seat in heaven. Therefore, perfect love should cast out all your fear. If you've done everything in love, you'll have no problems in heaven. That's what it says. Guys, understand what the Bible says top down and then bottom up. The scripture best explains the scripture. We've talked about that. What do the uh, words mean? What do the pro- what are the pronouns used? Who is the audience he's talking to? And the most major question in any Bible study is, so what? If after Winston got through talking last night, you do not have an application, then you got to ask yourself, I'm not listening. So what? So what am I going to do about it? Is this just a nifty truth, or is there something that's going to alter my life? The Bible should be an instrument of change in your life. Discipleship is thinking the way God thinks. It's embracing the truths of the Bible into your mind. If you don't do that, you don't get there. The great challenge for the coming generation is your faithfulness to the understanding of the Word. Your day in history will be won and lost on your viewpoint of the Word. And you're in an all-out battle, guys, of unbelievable proportions. Most of the mainstream denominations are already gone. And I'm not if you guys belong to a mainstream denomination, I'm not after you. But I know of none of the mainstream dominant denominations excepting the Southern Baptists, which have not given in to women in the pulpit, homosexuality, accepted divorce, etc. I don't know any that hadn't given in to it. They have already neutrally, they've already neutralized the word. It's just a matter of time until they throw more of it away. The great battlefield for you is: Can you do that? Can you stand and not accommodate culture, but stand with the word? You will not do it unless you understand what it is and the truth that it brings to you. Be not only a student of what the word says, but be a student of how the word says it. That's my email address. Any questions, concerns, or comments before they run me off? Yes, sir. They don't want to record your question. Don't take it no, personally. Don't, don't, don't take it, okay. Gail, you. Uh it says Gale. Period. Don't leave that out. Jackson at p o r t a l t dot com, like Model T. It's Portal T. Gail, in uh, reviewing the, the tension in the Bible, Beg your pardon? in
2: when you were discussing the, the tension in the Bible, for example, the tension between sovereign and God and
0: the free will of man.
2: Yeah, the the many tensions that exist. Your comment was. Um, we can't discard anything. We have to live with the tension and go to the scriptures for the answers. Can you give me a clue as to what sort of answer I'm looking for in that case? I and mean, it's
0: tension. I, I think maybe when you were talking about the diamond and the different views, you might have been alluding there
2: to the fact that if you look at it as a whole and study it for from all its sides, then those will eventually resolve themselves. Is that the point? We are,
0: we are seeking the perfect theology. So I have everything explained. I have everything in a neat corner. Would you agree? Does everybody agree? I want, I want a theology where I've got, got it all I got it all nailed down. Well, God's never going to let you get there. Because the minute I do that, you violate what Winston taught you last night, is I don't live in faith. I've got God checkmated. He won't let me check me. So I go in and I say, is God sovereign? Yes. Is there a free will of men? Yes. I said, wait a minute, you can't have the two. He said, oh, yes, I can. What do you mean? He says, I do it and somewhere down the line they come together and I want you to know that I'm sovereign and you have nothing to do with what's going on but you're totally responsible. I say wait a minute you can't can't do that. But God says yes I can and I do and it's in your best interest. So it's very important that as a man who thanks for the word of God Miles, like yourself that you accept them admit them and live with them. Don't brush them off. Like, for instance, we're struggling with grace and, and works. Don't brush it off. It is reality in the scriptures. Now, I don't know where you want to come down on it. And I'm not arguing what the gentleman came down to understand right where he is. And don't argue with him on it. But it, clearly there is a tension in the scriptures on that. Clearly a tension. And so you come to grips with it. And you accept that, that reality. And there's many, many. You've got to live with the tensions and... The, con- not contradictions, the apparent contradictions the ambiguity of the Bible at times but it is a single truth that God will periodically open up more and more doors to you as you go down but still there's lots and lots of questions I'm just not capable of getting there but God says uh, can you trust I'm telling you the truth yes, is the Bible the word of God yes, then live with it this is in your best interest is that okay? it has to be it has to be right? That's the only answer I have yes sir it's a good question you just got to live with it I don't know how to go a question on the, the term eye of the needle what did that really mean Well, the eye of the needle was a place in the wall of the city of Jerusalem as I've understood it and to try to get a camel to go through it was just a joke a human might squeeze through it, but a camel never could get through it and so Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to get through that eye and the needle, which is the hole in the wall, than it is for a rich man to go into heaven. And what he said, it doesn't mean rich man can't go to heaven. It just says, rich man, I want to, I want to accommodate the other opinion, but to me it says the rich man, is, uh, he's so preoccupied with the things of the world, that you can't get his attention. Why is it easier to bring a young man to Christ than an older man to Christ? Because an older man has too much, he's, he's too vested. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come before the altar and admit everything in your last 60 years has been wasted. You have absolutely wasted your life. God says, the heck, the heck, I'll do that. I'd, I want to gamble on I was good enough. That's a bad gamble. But the young guy's got no nothing. He's not invested. He has nothing on the table. The rich man has a lot on the table. What do you say? I have to give up. You have to give up everything. Can we go with that one more time? Is there another option in here we can work on? Is there plan B? And Jesus says, that's why the guy has trouble. Christianity is best understood by the desperate. Would we agree? Now the question is, is everybody desperate? Yes. It's just not everybody understands it. So there's going to be times when that comes into focus. And that's when you want to be ready. Nobody will miss their time of desperate. That, they'll get their time in the barrel. That's a promise by God. Is it? Does that explain the question? Yes, sir. All right. Um, Mr. Jackson. Going. What? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Um, a lot of times with uh, people of my peer group... Um, Particularly with women in pastorship roles and things like that. They claim that that passage of scripture that deals with that was, um, a cultural commandment. That was that about women? Ah, uh-huh. yes. Yeah. Um what is the, what's the best response in general to that type of statement that it was a My cultural answer is, to... It was
0: adultery co- cultural. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't that cultural? Under what grounds would you call it cultural? I can argue the case that it's not cultural. Can you argue the case that it is cultural? And let's assume that my argument's just equal to your argument. Let's just assume that, OK? Would you not rather opt towards the conservative side and be safe with God than push the boundaries? Because I ask the question, for what reason do you push the boundaries? Because women are being denied, give me a break. Women being denied, they live longer than you.' You're going to take all your money. <laughs> No, you're going to take them out to a Valentine's meal, and they're going to say goodbye on Monday. So, I don't. so don't give me that drug. Don't give me that drug. Some of the greatest ministries in the world are to women. But God said they don't belong in the pulpit. What's so wrong about that? He said a bachelor child can't go in the temple for 10 years said, a divorced man should not be an elder. Oh my gosh, that's, that's so unfair. What do you mean it's unfair? doesn't mean he can't serve God. What it said is there's a position you cannot have, so what's the first thing I want? Is that position. Why? Because it's unfair. Give me a break. So the argument I want to say to you is, I don't know where you stop the cultural boundary. If the guy takes me down that argument line. There, then everything becomes cultural. The guy says, uh, look, homosexuality, you're born to have that urge. I said, well, I was born with the urge of adultery. They gave me the right to go be adulterous. Isn't These are silly arguments. There's a good argument in the scripture. Let your granddaddy explain it to you on why that's not cultural. I won't take you into that discussion, but it's in there. Yes, any other questions? No, if you didn't get it the first time, tough luck, guys. <laughs> <laughs> to,
1: to your points on, on theology, many times I think we, we, we prefer the path of seeking the perfect theology because it's harder for us to seek a relationship
0: with God. Oh Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's good, well said. And that needs to be explored, which I'm not going to do, but I think that's a good point. We like, we like checkmating God. I, I got you figured out, God. And you're saying... A lot of it's just in the intimacy with God and realizing I have to depend on that. That's a very good point. You want me to go back two slides? Yeah, just to the uh, where you had the convictions, the self-imposed limitations. No, it, it's uh, it can be any. I prefer you'd capitalize all of my name. I'd feel better about it. Is that what you wanted? Okay. Yes, I think he said it's over with. Guys, what I want to talk to you about today was take your Bible seriously. It is from God. Treat it with great respect. Defend it. Know it. Understand it. Trust it. Depend on it. Don't let them take it away from you. They're trying to take it away from you. Don't let them do that because that's from God. Don't let them do that. So we talked about how to use the Bible today and when I come back five years from now, no, when I come back on Sunday we'll actually I'm going to do a Bible study with you on Sunday on Hebrews and we'll just put some of these things to practice. Let me pray for us. Father God we are very grateful for your word. What a wonderful God that has left uh, his message behind with us. Let us be men who rightly divide the word. Let us be men who are men of their generation like the uh, uh, Issachar was. That they knew the issues of their time. Let us be men that understand the issues of the time and understand your answer in the Bible. Oh, God, let us be pleasing to you because we trust you in the Word. Let us be men who walk with our heads pointed towards you in the confidence of this Word you have given us. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you,